Good evening. There has been two events that have changed the history of the world. Two events. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So and so much that usually when we think of history, we think of everything before Jesus and after Jesus. So what I want to do today for the next few minutes is for us to meditate a little bit on the death of Jesus Christ, the event that changed the history of the world forever. I want us to meditate a little bit on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the way we're going to do this tonight is um, we're going to see the cross through the lenses of four groups of people. We're going to look at the cross through the lenses of the Roman soldiers. We're going to look at the cross through the, two, uh, through the lenses of the two criminals nailed next to Jesus. We're going to look at the cross through the religious leaders and the people that were passing by. And lastly, we're going to look at the cross through the disciples. And the way I want to do this is we're going to start with the Roman soldiers at the cross, because they were the last ones that we see in the Scripture. And then we're going to move backwards all the way to the table. So bear with me for a few minutes. Let's talk about the Roman soldiers. The reason why I start, as I said, with this group is because this is the last group of people that you see that witness their crucifixion. Actually, this is the first group of, the last group of people that uh, made a profession, a confession of faith that is very unique to that group. This happens in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. Jesus just passed away, and the Bible says that the centurion, which means a leader of 100 soldiers, and those with him were guarding uh, Jesus, that who were guarding Jesus, and they saw an earthquake and all that had happened, and they were terrified. And they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. That last sentence is a confession. It's a confession that says that somehow they got to see something that they did not see before. They understood something that they did not understand before. Somehow, by God's mercy, they got to see that this person that they just crucified was the Son of God. Now, I want you to keep in mind the kind of people that we're talking about here. This is the same group of people that nailed Jesus to the cross. This is the same group of people that believed that the only people that should be crucified should be the worst of the worst. This is the same group of people that hours before had been mocking Jesus, saying to him, if you are the king of the Jews... Save yourself. It's almost like if they were saying to Jesus, you are no king. If you would be, if you would be a king, you, you wouldn't be there. Look at you. You are a king without a kingdom. You are a leader without followers. Look at you. You people don't even love you. As part of the reason why they nailed, they, they also put this sign on the cross. They nailed this sign on the cross that says, King of the Jews, just to make fun of him. 
This is the same group of people that when Jesus was nailed to the cross and he was thirsty, they put in his mouth a sponge full of filth. Because that's what the sponge was. This is the same group of people that most likely were the ones that put the scarlet rope on him and put on his head a crown of thorns just to humiliate him. That's the same group of people. And yet we find the same group of people. The last thing we hear from them is surely Jesus was the son of God. Now I also want you to keep in mind that this is not a normal group of Roman soldiers. I would say that in that context, that kind of soldier were chosen to crucify a person because they were extremely cruel. Their sense of compassion had been completely gone, or was completely uh, gone. Their conscience was completely seared. They literally had learned to see the people they were crucifying as less than human beings. A subcategory of a human being. Almost seeing the people they were crucifying as animals. So the question I'm asking tonight is, what happened to them? How is it that this group of cruel people got to the point that they could make this confession? That Jesus was truly the Son of God. They were surely there means that they truly believed that he was the son of God. What happened to them? Now, we cannot assume that every single one of them got transformed by the power of the cross, but we know that something happened to them because that confession uh, was made before by the disciples of Jesus Christ. This is Matthew chapter 14. The Bible says that the disciples worshipped Jesus, and then they made the same confession. Truly, you are the Son of God. What changed this group of Roman soldiers? Well, the text tells us that they saw the earthquake and everything and all that had happened. So let me show you what they saw. They saw a suffering Savior that when they made fun of him, he stayed quiet. That's what they saw. They saw a suffering Savior that after being physically tortured and emotionally abused, he never fought back. That's what they saw. They saw a suffering Savior that accepted what God the Father had for him. He allowed himself to be killed, executed. He didn't defend himself. That's what they saw. They saw a suffering Savior that fit the description of a sheep. I don't know if you ever got the chance to see that with your own eyes, but I have. I'm going to see why is it that Isaiah 53 compares Jesus to a sheep. And that's super interesting. Because that animal allows itself or himself or herself, whatever that is, to be executed. It doesn't cry. It doesn't push back. It doesn't make any noises. It just looks at you and allows itself to be killed. Just like Jesus. That's what they saw. 
that he saw a suffering Savior, that the first thing he said after being crucified is, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's what they saw. And that's what changed people. And that's what changes people. And that's what has changed the history of the world. A suffering Savior whose compassion is undeniable. Whose love is incomprehensible. Whose endurance is supernatural. Whose patience is indescribable. Whose commitment is unshakable. And whose mercy is inexplicable. What do you see? What do you see when you look at the cross? Now let's move to the second group, a group that came right before the soldiers, the two thieves. And we know, because of what we just read, that there was, there was one thief on, his, on the right of Jesus, and there was one thief on the left side of Jesus. And Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 39, says this, that one of the criminals who hung there Heard insults at him and asked, Are you, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And in verse 40 he says, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence. Verse 41. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But these men has done nothing wrong. And I find that event so interesting because you find one criminal, one thief that sees Jesus as a means to an end. See, he doesn't care about Jesus. He cares about what Jesus gives. He cares about salvation, but he doesn't care about the author of salvation. He wants a blessing, but he, wasn't want, he doesn't want the Savior. He wants to be free, but he doesn't want Jesus. Because Jesus to him is just a, simply a means to an end. But on the other hand, we got the second criminal. A man that clearly understands that he deserves to be there. That's why he says we are being punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. Notice there that there are no excuses, no blame shifting, nothing like I'm just the victim of my circumstances. He knows that he's guilty. And that's why he looks at Jesus and says in verse 42, Jesus, just remember me. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you understand what that means? This is what he was saying. You are the end of all my means. If you don't do anything for me, I have no hope. I'm so broken that I need to be rescued by you. I am completely guilty of everything that I have done. Please have mercy on me. And look at what Jesus says. Verse 43. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The question for you is, 
What do you see when you look at the cross? Let me tell you what I see. I see myself in both of those thieves. I see myself as the person that deserves to be there. I, I see myself as the person that deserves the holy wrath of God. I see myself as a truly sinful person that needs to be nailed next to Jesus Christ. I see myself as, as the thief that sometimes has used God as a means to an end. I see myself as someone that loves what Jesus gives, but sometimes I just don't want him. I see myself as completely guilty. I see myself as deserving the cross. But I see more than that. I also see a suffering Savior that did not require of me to fix myself in order for me to be forgiven. Because that's not what we see there. I see a suffering Savior that the only thing that requires of me and you is to be, is just to believe and repent. Because that's what we see there. We see a suffering Savior that is quick to forgive if we truly repent. That's what we see there. We see a suffering Savior that is truly, truly the end of all of our means. We see a suffering Savior that offers much more than just salvation. Offers a paradise with him. Paradise without Jesus is nothing. What makes paradise so beautiful is that he's there. That's how one of the thieves got changed. That's how people change. What do you see when you look at the cross? Now, before this group, there was another group. The religious leaders and the ones, the people passing by. And we find this once again in Matthew chapter 47. First, we see the religious leaders in verse 42. And they're speaking to Jesus as he is nailed to the cross. And they said, he saved others, they said, but he can save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross and we will believe in him. But notice the voice of the people passing by. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the son of God. And you see that both of these groups have something in common. They say exactly the same thing. Save yourself, come down from that cross. And this is two groups that actually don't get what's happening at the cross. They don't understand that if Jesus comes down from that cross, there is no possibility of salvation. They don't understand that if Jesus saves himself, we have no hope. See, they don't understand that if Jesus saves himself, we will all perish. See, Jesus knows that if he comes, if he comes down from that cross, we must go to that cross. 
If he saves himself, we must deserve the rightly holy punishment of God. If Jesus saves himself, then God could never be holy if we just repent. Do you know why? Because if Jesus, if God just re- accepts you and forgives you because you repent and nothing happens to his law, then he's going against his own law. If God forgives people and no one takes the punishment the law demands, God stops being holy. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that there is only one way in which people can be saved. It's through him and his death on the cross. And it's amazing what happens in the cross because you could see at the same time the love of God and the holiness of God. The mercy of God and the grace of God. The love of God and the truth of God. The law fulfilled and, the, and grace extended at the same time. If Jesus saves himself, we have no chance. That's the only reason why Jesus forgave the soldiers. He was taking the punishment they deserved. This is the only reason why he offered par- paradise to the thief. Because Jesus was experiencing the hell he deserved. If Jesus comes down from that cross, we have nothing. Let me read this modified version of a Puritan prayer. So we fully understand why is it that Jesus stayed there. Because at the cross, there the infinite punishment was due and infinite punishment was endured. Because at the cross, Christ was all anguish that I that we may have all joy. He was cast off that I, might, that I might be brought in. He was treated as an enemy that I may be welcomed as a friend. He surrendered to hell's worst that I may attain heaven's best. He was stripped that I may be clothed. He was wounded that I may be healed. He experienced thirst that I may drink. He was tormented that I may be comforted. He was made shame that I may inherit glory. He entered darkness that I might have eternal light. He, my Savior, wept that also all my tears may be wiped away. He groaned so that I may sing. That's why Jesus couldn't come down from that cross. What do you see? When you see the cross. Now right before that. There's another group of people. So we have the soldiers. We have the thieves. We have the religious leaders. And the people passing by. And lastly we have the disciples. But with the disciples. I want to take you all the way. To the last supper. Because I want to prep you. For when we participate in communion. To me, that's one of the most important events that happened before the cross, you know? Because we see a picture of what Jesus is about to do in the cross. 
So this is Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 21. And this is Jesus, last supper, with his, with his disciples, and Judas is part of the conversation. And look at what God says. And while they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you, one of you will betray me. Verse 22. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't, mean, you don't mean me, Lord. That's what I would say. But then when you go to verse 23, Jesus replied, No, no, no. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me, he will betray me. Verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean you don't mean me, Rabbi? To what Jesus answered, you have said so. You know what's interesting about that event? That it was a public thing. Everyone was there. Everyone was there. This was not a conversation that happened in secret. Everyone asked the question publicly, and publicly, Jesus responded. And they all heard when Jesus told Judas what he said. The question that you must ask is this. How come no one did anything? And this is what I think that the Bible shows us. That no one ever thought that Judas was able to do that. He was just one of the guys, you know. He went with the rest of the disciples. He performed miracles. He did everything beautiful just like the rest of the disciples did. They helped the poor. They preached the gospel. He did everything that the rest of the disciples did. He cast out demons. Nobody ever suspected that Judas would be the one to betray Jesus. But Jesus did. You know what's interesting, though? In that context, in that time, when you have a meal with somebody, it's almost like telling the person, I want you, I want you to be part of my family. To have a meal with somebody means that I want to have a relationship with that person. To have a meal with somebody means that you are important to me. And this is what Jesus does. He takes the bread and he gives it to Judas. And it's almost like if he's saying, I know what you're about to do. I know what you have done, I know what you're doing, and I know what you're about to do. But I still want you. I want you to be part of my family. I want to love you. I want you to be loved by me. I want to have a relationship with you. You don't have to do this, you know. I'm for you. Eat with me. And he walked away. 
Do you know why we need to know that today? Because the table, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to believe what the soldiers believed. It's an invitation to believe what the thief believed. It's an invitation to stop being like the religious leaders and the people walking by. It's an invitation to embrace what the disciples embraced, and it's an invitation to go against what Judas did. Jesus today, once again, tells you the same thing. I want you for me. I want you with me. So this is what I want us to do before we participate. I want us to take a time of confession. If you are not a Christian, if you are exploring Christianity, take this as an invitation. Use this confession as something that you need for you in your life. Believe. Repent. And then participate. And if you are a Christian, it's the same thing for you today. Believe. Repent and take, and take the bread and take the juice. So how about if you stand for a second and we're going to do this confession all together. I'm going to do the first part and then there's a part for you to respond there. This is based on Psalm 51 and Isaiah 53. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions. Go ahead. Wash away all of our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Cleanse us and we will be clean. Wash us and we will be whiter than snow. For we know our transgressions, and our sin is always before us. Against you, you only, we have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned uh, to our own way. But you, O oh God, laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Because he poured out his life unto death, for he bore the sin of many. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. As we get ready for participating in communion, 
Let me read a text. And when you're ready, you could take, you take a piece of bread and you take a cup of juice. You can participate and then you can leave everything on the table. All right? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. When you're ready, you may participate.